everyone and welcome to Dirty Money and we have an action-packed podcast for you today. We have Credit Suisse getting a massive bailout from the Swiss government banks to central bank. We have YouTubers getting sued for $1 billion for their promotion of the FTX crypto exchange and we also have fed loans to banks reaching a historic high and much much more but first no matter where you're watching this whether it's on a podcast platform or on youtube don't forget to subscribe to leave a comment and on the podcast platforms please leave a five-star rating so more people can find our podcast how you doing mike doing pretty good uh it's one of those one of those weeks where you have uh history written and uh it's gone very very fast this week from the start to the end i can't believe everything that's taken place with the banks and what's going on with the feds what's going on with inflation where are we going to go i mean well it's going to be packed well yeah so the most recent thing um and i think the most timely to talk about uh the fed has now hit a new record high on loans to banks so according to their report yesterday, um, they have $153 billion uh, loaned out in what's called the discount window, uh, Fed's discount window, which is a, a loan facility to banks. Then they have, uh, and that's a record. So in 2008, um, the previous high, financial crisis 2008, this loan facility, the discount window, it was at $111 billion. Now, if you adjust it for inflation, um, it's about the same. Okay. So 111 billion in 2008 is 155 billion today. Um, the current record at the moment is 153 billion. So basically we're at the same level as 2008 in loans to banks. If you adjust for inflation, uh, they also have 143 billion, uh, to ensure the assets of Silicon Valley bank and signature bank through the FDIC. And they have this new funding program, uh, the bank term funding program, which just started like a couple of weeks ago. And basically what this program is, is where they will loan banks money um, according to their collateral. So if banks have, uh, for example, treasuries that they can't sell because if they sold them, they would you know, not get the original rate they bought them for, um, which is basically what happened to Silicon Valley Bank, why they lost $1.8 billion in their treasury sale. Um, Basically, banks can now borrow money from the Fed at low interest, uh, according to their collateral, to the amount of treasuries they have. Um, And that basically is to avoid a like a fire sale of treasuries as banks, you know, there's a run on a bank and it forces them to sell all their treasuries at a loss in order to give depositors their money. They can now borrow money from the Fed according to the amount of treasury securities they hold, um, which it's kind of like a get out of jail free card for the banks. But uh, right now, this funding program, uh, $11.9 billion has been borrowed so far and $16.9 billion worth of collateral has been pledged by banks. Um, and JP Morgan Chase thinks that this program could inject as much as $2 trillion um, into the economy through these loans to banks. I mean, that that in and of itself is kind of mind-blowing. So we're going to go buy treasury notes. We're going to use them as collateral to get credit from the, Fed. the same notes that we just bought, essentially in the same exact system. So they're <laughs> yeah. 
that's it's it's just mind blowing that it's just it's the craziest circle. Is money even real anymore? Like, how does that work? So, it, let's say J.P. Morgan has two hundred billion dollars in in treasury notes, which I wouldn't be surprised if they held something like that right now, right? So now J.P. Morgan buys the two hundred billion, gives them the money. They can then get the two hundred billion back on their books immediately and still maintain the asset on, on their whole system. What stops anybody? from being frivolous at this point with what they're loaning their money for this just how did svb not know about it first of all and well it was it was it was developed um after svb so in response to that it's a new program that has been developed because of that and then the other question is is you have to be a u.s bank to do this or can you be a a a world bank and do it i i believe it's well i believe it's only for u.s banks although well, if you hold U.S. Treasury, I don't know what the requirement is. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. So, like, is, are they still figuring out the requirements for this? How how deep does the rabbit hole really go when you're you're talking about lending money on collateral that you purchased from the same place? I mean, is there any limit to the amount of money that the governments are going to start printing right now? It, it's it it's, it's pretty sense. insane. Yeah, it's pretty insane. I mean. Um, yeah, so far, like JP Morgan Chase, they they estimated it could be up to $2 trillion that it's basically printed through this program. Uh, their lower estimate was about like $460 billion, something like that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. And it just shows that basically the economy is not really based on on real money. As soon as you take out the uh, all the money that's been injected into the economy, you start having you know, incredible destabilization. You have to start pumping money back into it again. So, um, <laughs> I mean, obviously I, for, yeah. I just want to figure out how many U.S. Treasury notes are purchased annually, right? What, what's the total amount, you know, of, you know, what's the trading volume for U.S. Treasury? So trading volume as of February for the year was $650 billion, in treasury bills or in all types of treasuries? All types of treasuries. All types. Yeah. So um, the outstanding is twenty-four <laughs> trillion. Yeah. Let me, let me let me let me be clear on that. There's twenty-four trillion dollars in treasury notes that are outstanding. Well, that's our government debt, isn't it? Yeah, that that is our government yeah. debt, and that that's exactly what we're playing with. Well, now. Part of it because it's like yeah. thirty trillion now, but part of yeah. the government debt is those. Part of the government debt yeah. are these treasury notes, and because that's how we keep it up. So now we're gonna we're gonna lend money from the Federal Reserve based on the amount of of notes you hold. Yeah, I mean, I, I bet I guess it's the same idea that uh, you know rich people use in private banking, where they they put their own money into a bank and earn interest on it, and then they the bank lends their own money to themselves and uh, you know, they borrow money for themselves so that they don't have to pay tax on it because they're not withdrawing actual capital yeah. from the bank. Um, so it's kind of a similar, a similar deal, isn't it? A bank uh, stores the wealth and then loans back that money um, from the fed. Uh, it's yeah, it's kind of a similar, I guess, I guess it's the same in a sense, but, but ultimately you're opening the floodgates to complete collapse. <laughs> yeah. what, you're, what you're doing right now is is you're turning around and saying that whatever treasury notes, yearly notes, bonds you're going to hold, we are willing to loan you the money for those 
notes, even if they are not satisfied, who's going to satisfy those notes? The same people lending you the money. So, yeah, I mean, the idea is so that they can hold them to maturity so that they get the original face value back. Because otherwise, what happened with SVB is what they, they had to sell them at a loss because they were we selling them before they matured, right? And that the price on the open market had changed because they were paying less interest because the Fed had raised rates. So the Fed, the Fed caused the problem. <laughs> so trying to solve the inflation problem, the Fed caused this problem with SVB. And now they, they're using another method to solve this problem, which is going to probably cause more inflation because they're pumping more money into the economy. And, you know, inflation is a whole nother subject. We should probably, we could talk about that in a second. But I just want to really have people understand how this works, like just fundamentally. Your grandfather gives you a piece of gold. And you're going to hang on to it for five years. And in five years, he's going to give you back the money that you lent him for the gold. But he's now going to, once you lend, once he gives you that piece of gold and the money that you gave him to hold the gold, he's going to give it back to you within 10 minutes of you giving him the money for the gold. That's, that's the best way to explain this. I give yeah. you gold. You give me gold. I give you money to hold on to. I'm supposed to give you the gold back in five years. You give me the money with a little bit of interest, but now I'm going to give, you're going to give me the gold. I'm going to give you the money. You're going to give me the money back. What's and the point? I'm going to give you back the gold. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's no point. <laughs> yeah. Just give them the money. Just start printing money again. It's over. Yeah. It, 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 it's mind blowing that the, the, this is their solution. Well, I think it's just basically just trying to hang on. I mean, the whole thing's kind of going down. I, I have that opinion now that we are entering a really serious uh, financial crisis that is going to be much bigger than 2008. 2008 and, is going to... Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to scare people, but 2008 is going to be nothing compared to what they're going to yeah. be doing. I don't know when this is going to take place. I don't know when the bottom is going to fall out. Maybe there's going to be 10 years where we can still make money. Maybe somehow there's, there's end in sight, but they're really doing everything they can to shore up what happens in the next 90 days. And they're not even thinking about what's happening in the next 900. Yeah. Right. So, so um, they have to, they have to do something <laughs> now, but there has to be a correction into the banking system. And really that correction should be an economic one that naturally takes place between, between the macro scale on the, the economics. That's where it really is going to be fixed fundamentally. If we still trying to micro each individual bank and we're trying to set up these new systems, these new term banking, or we're using treasury collateral to loan money so that they can balance their books at the end of the night, all we're doing is just pumping more stuff into the micro side and it's never going to get fixed. We have to let the markets naturally work their way through it. It's painful. It's going to be yeah. painful. And you've got people like Michael Burry, uh, who you know predicted the uh, 2008 crash. He has been saying for several months uh, that a big crash is coming. I think when the market kind of hit its bottom earlier this year, or well, it wasn't, it would have been last year actually, hit a bottom, he still said 50% more to go. Um, and so, yeah, you've got people who really know what they're talking about predicting a massive crash, kind of betting against the US economy right now. Um, probably the Fed wants to use this to bring us into a new system um, to make some adjustments, you know, which we'll talk about later with the central bank digital currency and all that kind of stuff. Um, because they never let a good crisis go to waste, right? That's kind yeah, of the, uh, not. <laughs> that's kind of, but first of all, let's, let's go, um, let's actually talk about 
um, the other big financial story that's very much connected to this. Credit Suisse, uh, their shares soared yesterday and then kind of slumped again uh, after it was revealed uh, or news broke that the Swiss central bank was going to bail them out uh, with a new loan facility for, I think it was 54 uh, 50 billion euros, which is 54 billion, uh, not euros, excuse me, Swiss francs, um, which is 54 billion uh, US dollars. And, you know, this kind of triggers that the, uh, or kind of indicates, there we go, Chris um, shares soar after the bank was bailed out, kind of indicates that the uh, financial crisis that started with Silicon Valley Bank uh, is now going global. So was it really systemic or idiosyncratic? I mean, uh, we look at Signature Bank right now, and we look at other places like um, First Republic Bank. I, we mentioned it last week, right? Yeah. First, Re and 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 last week I said, you know, when it comes to community, there is no community in the tech banking world. There is no community in the tech world, but there is community in traditional banking, right? So in traditional banking, you have community coming to bail out. First Republic Bank, JP Morgan said, we'll give you 2.5 billion in deposits. Bank of America threw in $5 billion. So they've got a total of $30 billion deposits from banks to really make them uh, whole right now for First Republic Bank. If they didn't get that, I'm almost sure we'd be hearing about another bank collapsing in America right now. But they also, the funny out. thing. Yeah, the funny thing is that I was hearing as well is that, like like you said, they don't really care about the bank, but they care about the money, like the traditional banking. Um, so with SVB, they're, they're letting the bank, you know, go bankrupt, but they're insuring the deposits for the people who had money in the bank. They don't really care about the bank itself, the, the government. Um, but let's let's go back to the Credit Suisse story and let's we give a little bit of a background for the viewer. Uh, first, and then I know you've got some thoughts on it, Mike, that you want to yeah. share with us as well. So basically what happened with Credit Suisse um, was that this bank was already losing <laughs> a lot of money. Uh, and Dom, there's an article you can pull up from CNBC. Um, Credit Suisse, they'd already lost something like 7.3 billion francs last year, which is equivalent to 7.8 billion US dollars. Um so in 2022, they were already a massively, um, you know, loss-making bank, which is kind of, kind of crazy, right? And so that is what triggered the Saudis, who own over nine percent of the bank. Okay, they're actually the biggest shareholder, um, and amongst Credit Suisse's big shareholders, notable shareholders, you'll see some very familiar names like <laughs> BlackRock, you know, um, and a few others. Um, but the biggest shareholder is actually the Saudi National Bank, which is um, heavily owned by the Saudi government. And they own over 9%. Now, they didn't want to keep pumping money and buying more shares. Um, they didn't want their ownership to go over 10%. Um, we've actually got a clip that we can play of the chairman of the Saudi National Bank um, talking about that. So, yeah, Dom, if you could pull that up, that would be great. The answer is absolutely not for many reasons outside the simplest reason, which is regulatory and statutory. We now own 9.8% um, of the bank. If we go above 10%, all kinds of new rules kick in, whether it be by our regulator or the European regulator or the Swiss regulator, and we're not inclined to get into a new regulatory regime. Yeah, so 
they don't want to go above 10% because of regulation. It'll trigger a load of new regulations. But the fact that they publicly said this, um, it, it kind of speaks that maybe there was some agenda going on here because you don't have to publicly come out and say that because they probably would know that it would trigger um, a selling of the stock. And of course, they own the stock. So it's in their interest to keep the stock as high as possible to preserve their wealth as well, right? So what what is the agenda here? Why did they publicly come out and say that? Well, I, I mean, if you look at it fundamentally, the uh, he says the, their own regulatory banks, you know, their, their regulations in Saudi Arabia. I really am curious what regulations that he's talking about there. Now, the European regulations and the Swiss regulations, they're going to be similar to ours especially as you get to that 10% threshold where you become a majority in the banking system, anything over 10%, you know, you, you're now recognized that way. And what kind of regulations do they have to be scrutinized for? Are they now looked at where their investment capital comes from into that stocks, into those banks? And that's my question is, is if you really start diving back into it, the number one bilateral trade partner with Saudi Arabia is none other than the Chinese Communist Party. Right. So you have you have the Chinese Communist Party as their number one. I think it's 87 billion dollars a year that they trade goods in. That's that's their trade agreements right now. And then you have Xi Jinping on December 9th, 2022, saying he's he's going to do a 50 billion dollar investment into Saudi Arabia. And it, it goes, well, in the European markets, they're going to want to know exactly where this money's coming from, why it's going there and how much money they're bringing up. And I'm wondering if they're trying to hide money. I mean, the CCP is famous for cooking books and hiding money and putting it in places that, you know, no one can find it. And if they do find it, oh, it was there all along or we got it from a mine in Africa or, you know, who really knows where it comes from when it comes to the Chinese Communist Party. But I think fundamentally, it's really interesting that they don't want to have more than 10 percent because they don't want to be under this regulatory scrutiny. And it's like. So what's the point in having the regulations? Do they need to change the regulations to 5%? You know, and so if if they're afraid of the 10%, they're, they're at the threshold. They're literally 9.8% ownership of Swiss Bank. Um, and I think the reason they came out and said it is because everybody else was saying it about them anyway. So they're just going to follow suit. They don't want to be looked at one way or another. They're just going to accept it and say, yeah, well, this is why we don't want to do it. I think banks are very, very outspoken about their positions uh, without having repercussions because they know that they just have capital to do whatever they need to do to be successful. And so I, I'm just ultimately curious what's going to happen with that that whole thing with Credit Suisse is they they had a lot of problems on the back end. Um, you know, same thing with SVB. SVB is a, is a bank that held 51% in Chinese tech startup money. You know, so 51% of their depositors were from Chinese tech startups. Well, where does a Chinese tech startup get their money from? Yeah, it does. I mean, it's some of them from the CCP, I guess, but then also, I guess, other, you know, large companies in China. But it's really hard to separate state and, uh, you know, private in China because every large company has a CCP secretary, Chinese Communist Party secretary attached to the board anyway. So they sort yeah. of toe the line of the of the, the agenda of the government anyway. Um, 
so it's pretty interesting. Uh, and oh, also, yeah. the people who had money in Credit Suisse would have been no other than Europe's elite. That bank is used. I mean, it's a Swiss bank. It's used by a lot of rich people in Europe. So to topple that bank is really kind of an attack on the wealth of of Europe's elite as well, which is quite interesting. Right. So so it's interesting that both of these links uh, to to both of these bank issues. And I haven't looked into Signature Bank. I haven't really spent the time to to figure out if there's anything there. Um, but I would suspect there might be um, wherever their holdings were. But if you look at it now, it's like, all right, 37% of Saudi National Bank is ran by the, uh, is an investment fund directly from the citizens of Saudi Arabia, right? 37% is owned by Saudi Arabia National, the country itself. And then you have SVB having 51% and then 37% of this money it's it's really sticky. It starts to get really convoluted on, on where the money's coming from and who's pulling the money out. So if the depositors are pulling out the money and that's why they had to sell the treasuries at SVB, well, who are those depositors? 51% of them were Chinese tech startups. So yeah. now if you go over to Credit Suisse and $50 billion is guaranteed to the Saudi Arabian country along with $87 billions in, in trade partner with the CCP, so now you look at it and go, are they trying to start something here on the financial end? Are, are they pushing this envelope forward? And it, I, yeah. I, I want to look into signature myself and maybe next week I can have a little bit more on that. But I think it seems that, like it's sort of unconventional warfare, isn't it? Yeah, right. Fundamentally, is that what we're experiencing is is like, you know, the 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 war that doesn't exist with guns. You know, because the biggest thing is, is to bankrupt your country, you know, because if your country's bankrupt, you're not going to fight. You don't have you can't fight. And, and, and well, no one's trying to fight in the sense of being outspoken about it. It's it's something that is subvert. It's a very subvert thing. And I, I really see the links are all there. But, you know, uh, and then again, it's dots. You know, there's no concrete writing except for the depositors in in svb that was as clear as day so um so i want i want to move on to the next section in a second but there's just one funny thing that when i was researching this i noticed that the uh so the chairman uh, you know everyone was saying oh is credit swiss going to be the next lehman brothers the chairman of the board at uh <laughs> credit swiss is actually called axel p lehman which is uh <laughs> it's quite amusing to me oh uh, is this an omen? <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, wow, that's, I mean, it, it's kind of a coincidence. Dom, you can, you can, uh, I put it in the chat. You can pull up the, a photo of him and, and his name and stuff just so people see that this is real because people mess with stuff like this on the internet all the time. But yeah, the chairman of the board of Credit Suisse, his last name is Lehman, just like Lehman Brothers. Uh, and it's the same name. His is spelled with two N's. Lehman Brothers was, uh, was one N. Um, but yeah, just scroll down there and uh, yeah, you can click on his name, Axel P. Lehman, top left. There we go. And um, yeah, so this is the guy, chairman of the board at Credit Suisse, has the same name as the largest bankruptcy in the 2008 financial crisis, Lehman. Uh, it looks like it should be in a Madame Tussauds <laughs> museum. That picture is pretty creepy almost. I, I think that's a little, that photo is a little too airbrushed. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway yeah credit swiss um we'll definitely be watching that 
and I think now we should we should move on because um so we've got Fed now the new the Federal Reserve's new payment system um is set for a release in July. They've just announced this um in a press release. And um so this you know this is something that's kind of linked to the idea of a Federal Reserve digital currency even though this system is not a crypto or blockchain blockchain system. Um, it is an improvement on what the Fed originally had with like ACH transfer, et cetera, because it allows immediate um, payments. So you, you send money and it arrives in a second, um, just like crypto does, um, or Zelle, or um, what's the other one? Venmo that people are using now for small payments between individuals. Uh, banks and consumers can now make payments instantly well starting in july um with the new fed now system um and yeah this is this is thought by some people to be a precursor to a central bank digital currency um and there was a memo uh from the white house which uh, actually talked about white house digital company uh, currency it was a fact sheet that accompanied an executive order back uh, last year september 2022 um Dom, if you want, you can pull that up, actually, the uh, Biden White House memo. Um, and yeah, right at the bottom of this memo, it talks about um, exploring the possibility of a central bank digital currency, exploring a US digital currency, CBDC, central bank digital currency. And so it's kind of, it's funny that it's kind of hidden right at the bottom. They put it down <laughs> right at the bottom. See, long, right? Exploring, there we go. Exploring a US central bank digital currency. Um, so you can see that this is this is in the works. Uh, and many people see Fed now as a, a precursor to that, to get people used to instant payments um, without an actual coin, Fed coin. <laughs> uh, and then sort of the next step is starting an actual US Federal Reserve digital currency. I think the consumers are already ready, are already like very aware of an instant payment, but they don't realize that when they get an instant payment, it's not really cleared on the back end. It's just the bank fronting the money for 24 hours, right? So when you when you go and deposit money into Webull or you deposit money into whatever trading app you use, they might give you two grand, fifteen hundred immediately if you put ten thousand or five thousand in, but that's because they're just taking their assets and saying, you know, here, we'll, we'll clear you for 24 hours. And it's kind of an incentive for you to come do business with them. You know, so uh, uh, the consumer is really used to this, like me and you and everybody else, like Venmo, Zelle, uh, you know, uh, Cash App, all that stuff. It's a very like you know, right now type thing. So for the Federal Reserve to do this, it doesn't it, it makes sense, right? It would make sense yeah. for the banking world is, you know, if the money is verified and it's in the account, why are we waiting three days to wire it? Why are we why are we doing an ACH that takes us five days to, to get the money? So, you know, that to me is what makes a lot of sense, um, you know, for being a you know, predecessor or precursor to the CBDC. I yeah. mean, it, and I, I think it's inevitable. We're going to get a digital currency, whether we like it or not. Like that's that's coming. Uh, and I think the 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 Feds kind of sees the digital currencies like Bitcoin as a threat um, because people are investing in those instead of U.S. dollars. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the Forex exchange are, you know, they're taking a hit and have been since, you know, the big spike in, in uh, crypto in 2019 when everybody was going, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? And then 21 and you, you see like the growth and everything else. So it's like, yeah, they're, they're definitely going to get involved. And the real question I think everybody has is if they do a central bank digital currency, are they going to try to eliminate physical currency, right? So I think that's why you, you get a lot of people on both sides of the fence going, it's good, it's going, it's bad. But like, at, is this 10 years down the road where they're like, yeah, we don't have paper money anymore. It can transmit diseases, you know? So it's like, how, how does this all come together uh, fundamentally? And, you know, the I think digital currency is, it's not a bad thing. I think that fundamentally it's just an evolution of our society of saying, hey, hey, this is the way we operate on computers. I spend half my more than half. I, I spend seven tenths of my day on a computer now. You know, yeah. if it's a work day, we're, we're stuck in front of it all the time. And so, you know, there's already cities or cities countries that are already uh, have their own digital currencies going that's true and we we got a couple of examples here actually so the bahamas uh they started their own uh central bank digital currency called the sand dollar um which you know seems to have been reasonably successful there's quite a few caribbean nations doing it and then nigeria is the first african nation to do a central bank digital currency and I think they've, well, there's an article here. So they started it last year and I think they've had something like $10 million worth of transactions since October. That article is probably a little bit out of date. Uh, so it's probably a little bit more now. Um, yeah. Okay. So actually they started it in 2021, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, so countries are doing this, smaller countries, but obviously if the US adopted a central bank digital currency, it would be a, a huge thing because the us dollar is obviously the world's uh currency reserve currency right so yeah um but i also see you know the kind of threat of you know crypto because crypto is not inflating it's actually deflating it's you know the price or at least you know for many years was going up in value you see how bitcoin has been going up in value etc uh but the dollar well the dollar is the opposite it's lost um a huge amount of its value and i've got some statistics here that show you um just how much value the dollar is losing so there's a graph but the dollar has lost uh let me let me just have a look at this so the dollar has lost um since 1983 the dollar has lost 63 percent of its purchasing power so if you if you had a dollar in 1983 that would be worth just 37 cents um today now today right so roughly yeah. if, if you went back uh, how do i explain it one dollar now would only buy the same amount of stuff that 37 cents would in 1983 right and more shockingly um if you look at the graph from uh 1913 you go all the way back to 1913 um it's actually a thousand dollars back then um has gone down to 37 dollars today okay so in other words um, if you had a thousand dollars, it would only buy as much stuff as thirty-seven dollars would uh, in nineteen thirteen. If you had a thousand dollars today, so um, 
you know, you see how much the the inflation is causing the devaluation of money, which is actually a hidden tax on the people. And right. the Fed intentionally wants to keep inflation at two percent, even though it's right, it's higher now. But their target is two percent, which is still kind of like a hidden tax because whatever whatever money you earn in the stock market, you have to deduct two percent off of it for inflation if we're at their target. Um, so. I think they're scared that people are, you know, investing in digital currencies that are increasing in value rather than decreasing. And they want people to invest in, you know, so ultimately, you know, people suspect, oh, they, they could create this digital currency and then ban crypto, ban other crypto, ban non-regulated cryptos, et cetera. Um, whether that's going to happen or not, I don't know. Well, I, I think about it from a fundamental perspective is if they're going to actually remove the crypto currencies well then how do we your vpns are going to get around that pretty quickly you know and, and it's really kind of interesting to think about i think they just want to be in the game you know what i yeah. mean and right now fiat currencies fundamentally you would think if more people use your money you should be uh increasing the value of that money right but instead the more people that use the dollar the less valuable it becomes because there is no fixed amount of dollars. There's fixed amounts of Bitcoin. There's only going to be 23 million Bitcoins available. 21. 21, 21, 21 million Bitcoins available. Right. And they're not all, they're not all mines yet. Right. So it's like, when you think about it fundamentally, the U.S. dollar, uh, who knows how many are out there? I don't know. Does anybody even know how many U.S. dollars exist? Is that it's, even a it's real infinite. Question? Yeah, it just goes on forever. So naturally, it's going to deflate and or it's going to inflate, you know? So it's like, how do we look at this? And the, the Fed's coming out with a, their, their inflation numbers. And and so, you know, you've got, you've got a lot of different things that are taking place over there right now. I mean... If you look at the European Central Bank, um, you know, they decided to actually keep on with what, what they're doing. I mean, Christine Lagarde said that, hey, we're going to we're going to raise rates 50 by 50 base points. You know, yeah. they're not playing games. They just bailed out a bank that essentially is their Lehman Brothers. Right. Yeah. And and they're going to increase rates. What's going to happen? And next week, we're going to see what happens here with the Fed, because they're due to, in theory, increase rates next week. So who knows, right? No, that, that's the mystery. History's <laughs> mysteries or whatever you want to call it. Like, is it going to repeat itself? Are we living in this like cyclical uh, environment? I mean, 10 out of the 12 last uh, uh, recessions in the United States were caused by the Federal Reserve to, to steer off inflation going too fast. I mean, if, if our inflation numbers, I mean, it, it's it's a pretty rocky road we're heading down right now. And I would almost say you're not even going to be able to drive a car down it. You need to get into a dirt bike or a horse to navigate the, navigate it because it's going to be pretty bumpy uh, with with how it looks. Unless, you know, they did come up with that new, that new uh, term banking where you can borrow money against borrowed bought treasuries i don't, I don't know if, blows my yeah mind. the fed's new program to save svb right yeah yeah so it, it, it's interesting to really think about but i know that crypto is a deflating currency and before 1913 at least bitcoin 
Well, and other cryptos yeah. in general, I guess they have the same idea. I mean, Ethereum is probably the one that's more guaranteed to deflate yeah. as it goes towards yeah. twenty-one million. Yeah, Bitcoin is uh, is the U.S. dollar, right? In the crypto world, exactly the reserve currency. Yeah, yeah. The reserve currency of crypto is is definitely Bitcoin, but Ethereum. I mean, at the same token, is is on the no pun intended, but like it has more like, utility. Yeah, it it has you more you know more utility, but but it it's also going up in value. Yeah. Pretty consistently. Well, talking about inflation or deflation, whatever, I think we should we should move on to the next item, which is uh, the inflation numbers, which were released last Tuesday. Um, so the Bureau of Labor Statistics re uh, reported 0.4% uh, inflation in February, and that gives us 6% uh, inflation for the past 12 months, which isn't really going down. Uh, so the Fed's raising rates hasn't really worked that well yet. Uh, I want to get your thoughts about that, Mike. I mean, the, <laughs> can they do anything else? I mean, they're they're trying to inflate their way out of printing money. I don't know how they do that, but but really, what they've done is they they're creating a financial crisis. They're creating another recession. They have to. Otherwise, yeah. the money is going to see hyperinflation. Hyperinflation is where you see a run on the banks. Hyperinflation is where you see a Great Depression set in 1929. You know, that's and, right. And um, you've heard the probably heard the phrase "demand destruction" being thrown around, right? They they have to create demand destruction in order to bring inflation down, which means they have to basically uh, bring on a recession. So they have to make it so that people do not spend. They they're Money is so tight for them that they don't have the money to go and buy stuff, which then reduces demand, demand destruction. Yeah, exactly. And they've been doing it since the Federal Reserve was formed in 1913. Um, before 1913, the U.S. dollar increased in value three times between 18, uh, 1815 and the Napoleonic Wars going all the way until World War One, basically, the, the, the U.S. dollar went up in value. Uh, it, it peaked a couple of times, but it kept the same value over the course of those hundred years. Why did it keep the same value? Because no one was affecting the rates uh, essentially. There was no there was no banking reserve to come around and take the interest rates up or down effectively navigating this system. So when you, when you think about it, every dollar that you earned in your parents, let's say your parents earned every dollar, your parents earned in 1850 and you spent in 1905 bought the same exact thing. So every dollar my parents earned and my grandparents earned buys 60% less of that thing now yeah. so instead of getting a loaf of bread i get four slices you know so it's like it, it's it's really mind-blowing to to look at it and go who's really behind all this or why are they doing this this doesn't make any sense you know because before 1950 you know we want to know a big thing that happened around the same time as the federal reserve and no one likes it i don't care where you stand it's called federal income tax 
that has saved the Federal Reserve. So now you have to really look at it and go, whoa, what? What? Why? Why are we still fighting this fight? And now, you know, what they're doing with this new term, inflation that's taking place. If they don't raise rates, if Powell doesn't raise rates in, in, in a week, I'm pretty sure we're going to see inflation peak out again at 9%. And and the truth is, is he's going to raise rates again, and it's going to bring on a recession that they thought was going to happen in October and July. Yeah, uh, we're we're going to see that sped up. And if he continues to raise rates, even with uh, the you know the idea was a month ago was a mild recession, right? We're we're going to see a mild call that a soft landing. Yeah, yeah, a soft landing after printing trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars while no one went to work. A soft landing. So the the reality is is it's 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 not going to be a soft landing anymore. I mean, let's let's call it the miracle on the Hudson if we get out of this again. The Fed is basically in a between a rock and a hard place right now because they they have to increase rates to fight inflation, but the more they increase rates, the more crises it will trigger for the banks, just like what happened to Silicon Valley Bank where that happened because the Fed increased rates. And the, the treasuries that SVB had on its books weren't worth as much because rates has increased and the ones they had were paying lower rates. And when they were forced to sell them, they had to sell them at a loss. That was directly because the Fed raised rates. So it's anything it does right now is going to kind of bring on, a, bring on a crisis. It's trapped in a corner, basically. Yeah, no, it's 100% true. And, and I'm curious uh, with this new bank terms, if uh, Jamie Dimon's out there already trading in his treasuries for debt money to <laughs> go and buy, you know, uh, essentially, so I can trade my treasury, get money on it, and then I can go buy more treasuries and do it over and over and over and over. I, I don't know. That's People seem to, well, the analysts seem to think that the larger banks aren't going to use it as much. It's going to be sort oh. of the medium-sized banks the ones you don't hear of as much like SVB and stuff that are going to use it. But I, I don't really know. That's just from a few articles I've, I've read. I mean, I it's mean, a new facility, so we'll have to see what happens. What are the rates on the money? If the rates on the money are lower than what the rates are that they're going to get anyway, they're going to all use it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you might as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, use it, it and mean, then go buy treasuries at 5%, you know, six months. Right. Treasury <laughs> go, buy, go buy the treasury the six month or, or the one year or, you know, so yeah, so maybe you have you have one treasury that's earning you three percent, and then you you borrow money at one percent against that treasury, and then you buy another treasury at four point seven percent. So you now got two treasuries earning between them uh, seven point seven percent, and then minus one percent is six points. <laughs> you know, it yeah. gets ridiculous. Yeah, it, it, it's just this, and, and then. Yeah, this, uh, this actually reminds me of some crypto things like uh, Time Wonderland, which was this basically the owner of it, the, the creator of it admitted that it was a Ponzi scheme. Uh, but, you know, he was open about it. But you could actually stake your time and then you could or your crone. I can't remember what it's called. I was invested. I put like 100 bucks in it, obviously lost it all because uh, it was a Ponzi scheme just for fun. But um, <laughs> it's, um, but yeah, you could you could stake your your time, but then you could actually get it back. So you could have it earning you money and you get it back and then you could go and stake it somewhere else and earn like double. It was like the currency was like MMM, magic internet, magic MMIM, magic internet money or something. <laughs> so, But that's basically no different to what the Fed is doing. Precisely. And that, that's that's the reason why I'm just, you know, you hear anybody talk about it and they're like, yeah, this is a reasonable thing to do. And you're like, do you? 
what? What? How is this reasonable on any level, way, shape, or form? It's just going to bury us more. And, and my hope is that we can at least walk away from this with our limbs right now as a as a people because when when you already have the least amount of applied for new mortgages in 40 years now we're gonna start seeing records being broken in the next yes 90 days the records and i'm thinking like foreclosures and uh you know i mean let's be clear 2008 was a great time to stack up if you had capital and you had liquid buy this is going to happen again the question is is how far is the bottom going to go and that's yeah. where you got to really you know uh, uh i have no financial advice here at all let's be clear on that i don't want to be the next ftx guy but i mean there's going to be opportunity and there is yeah there's going to be right now massive opportunity you know i'm i'm hardly investing in stocks at all uh, but basically, I'm investing in, in real estate and treasuries, six-month treasuries. That's it. Smart. Yeah. Yeah, hey, the, that makes sense. I, 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 I bought some stocks recently. I, I went in on the bank plunge uh, the day it happened because I knew that they're going to just bail it out and whatever I buy is going to pump. And Swing trade? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Nice. Yeah. It was an, it was an easy pump uh, to, to move on a bank. But... Uh, the the idea is is that you know the the average person isn't gonna sit there and pay attention to this. They're gonna go to get a home loan, and their home loan is gonna be twelve percent. You're gonna be able to buy half the house you were able to buy now. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because your monthly rate, your monthly interest payment is gonna be so high. Yeah, you can't even buy the house. It's the same thing with cars, right? You know, before you could get a car loan for two percent, which is a normal car loan. Now you're looking at a car loan, you're getting 7%. And that's with, that's with 800 credit score, you know, 6%. Yeah. So it, it, it's really just kind of mind blowing how it really just trickles down to, to everyday people. You know, the, the Jamie Diamonds of the world, they, that guy doesn't think about a car loan. You're right. He got like a $2 billion bonus. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. It's not that big, but he got, a two billion. <laughs> he got a $2 billion fine once. He paid it pretty quick. Um, uh, his banking company did. J Jamie Dimon's the CEO of uh, JP Morgan Chase. Morgan Chase. Um, so it, it's it's a very rocky road that we're going we're gonna to have to walk down. But I know that uh, the Fed's going to do some, some sticky stuff to make sure we get out of it. And they might. You know the 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 deflation of the currency might take place. We might get that quicker than we think, because they they might look at it as an option to to do that. You yeah. know, to to get out of this sticky situation. Well, but the thing is, if they deflate, that increases the value of their debt. So that's you know that's one thing, isn't it? Because they're trying to inflate out of their debt. They printed exactly. like six billion, uh, six trillion during the pandemic. They can't afford it. They need to get out of it. So they need to inflate out of it. Um, and now they're increasing interest rates to bring inflation down because it's bad for the economy, but increasing interest rates, they're increasing the payments on their debt now, uh, because government treasuries are going at higher rates. So that the, the amount the U S government pays each year in interest payments is going up to like hun several hundred billion, uh, dollars already. Um, I think it was hitting close to 300 billion a year now. Right. Um, 
have to I have to I have to look up the latest stats on that. But uh, I think yeah, I'm almost at four hundred billion right now based on the rates. And, wow. And uh, the fear is that it's going to hit a trillion. You know that that's that's which is the, more than the military budget, which is we, crazy. Yeah, a hundred and hundred and forty billion dollars more than our military budget, and and one third of our GDP. It's insane. Yeah. That's when it starts getting really insane. One third of your GDP is paid to interest. This is this is the actually the, no no wait wait one trillion wouldn't be a third of the GDP, but it maybe it would be a third of the federal budget perhaps. Yeah yeah that's what I meant. Yeah sorry yeah it's a, th a third of the budget and it's like it's gonna get sticky. We'll we'll see. Or, or a third going. of the actually funded a third of the tax revenues because <laughs> yeah because yeah. right. you know, I think the federal budget is like a, a trillion dollars over. Um, right. What the actual yeah, what, what is the US are. federal budget for 2022? The deficit for uh, is 1.375 trillion for uh, the US in 2022. The federal gov the federal government spending for 2022 was 6.2 wow. trillion dollars. So yeah. Uh, saw record federal deficits in 2021 of 3.6 trillion. So it's it, we're we're trying to get out of a hole by making our money less valuable. Um, and we'll see what we can really do. But we're increasing our <laughs> our debt payment. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's a it's a sticky mess. Uh, speaking of the crypto people, you want to move on to those guys? Let's do that. Yeah. Okay. So. There is actually a class action lawsuit against a load of the YouTubers, uh, and this one this one hits close to home because I'm a YouTuber, uh, against a load of the YouTubers who promoted FTX. Uh, so obviously FTX is the the failed crypto exchange that I think we've you know we've talked about a lot on the show. I think a lot of people are familiar with Sam Bankman-Fried. It went down late last year. Um, so a class action lawsuit has been filed um, against Kevin Parfaroff of the YouTube channel, Meet Kevin, uh, Graham Stephan, who's a big YouTuber, probably a lot of people know, Andre Jick, uh, Jaspreet Singh, who has a channel Minority Mindset, also over a million subscribers, Brian Jung, Jeremy Lefbrieve of Financial Education, Tom Nash, Ben Armstrong, Emma, Erica Kohlberg, and Creators Agency LLC. Now, Creators Agency LLC is the agency that presumably got the ads for most of these guys. Uh, because I know Graham Stephan, Meet Kevin, Andre Jick, um, they were all, uh, Brian Jung as well, they're all part of Creators Agency. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's why that's why they're, they're in there. And the lawsuit is for $1 billion. And there are several plaintiffs, uh, I think four or five people who are part of this, this class action lawsuit. Um, and it's kind of funny because it starts off, the lawsuit starts off saying that the new CEO who was winding down, well, the new CEO of uh, FTX is the same guy who, who wound down Enron. And he says the fraud at FTX is worse than Enron. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is kind of crazy. Um, so, and the angle of this lawsuit is that it's trying to prove that the plaintiffs uh, purchased an unregistered security as a result of the promotion by the defendants uh, for their own financial benefit. Okay, so basically it hinges on crypto being an unregistered security that was promoted to these plaintiffs uh, by these influencers advertising the FTX crypto exchange. Now, 
Kim Kardashian was actually charged with a similar thing uh, by the SEC when she promoted a certain coin, uh, a certain crypto coin. I can't remember what it was called. Uh, I can yeah. just... What, what was it's like exchange something or other? Uh, she, she ended up... Ethereum Max, it was called. Yeah, okay. Yeah. She ended up uh, settling out of court, you know? Um, yeah. And that that might be what happens with these guys. I mean, but for the amount she settled for, I mean, it's going to really hit them hard. So she settled for $2.26 million. Well, she was paid, first of all, she was paid $250,000 to publish a post on Instagram. One post by Kim Kardashian cost $250,000. Yeah, the, the, all, the Card all the Kardashians, if you want to post, you know, um, what was the fire festival, right? So the yeah. fire festival, you know, we could do something on that, but I think it's oh, Billy McFarland. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's beating a dead horse. But um, you know, uh, what was her little sister's Kylie Jenner? She Kylie, posts yep. the the fire post, and she gets two hundred fifty grand too. So one yeah. one post is two hundred fifty k. But you know, what but she failed. So Kim failed to disclose though that it was an ad. She did put hashtag ad down in the corner. But she also said, oh, my friends recommend this coin, Ethereum Max, which wasn't an official Ethereum coin. It was just on the Ethereum blockchain, which is why it was called Ethereum Max. But anyone can develop a coin on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, so, yeah, and she settled for $1.26 million uh, in, in, as part of that lawsuit. Um, but, okay, so let's go back to the FTX lawsuit. So that she promoted an individual coin. But in my opinion, this lawsuit might actually be quite difficult to actually succeed because these influencers were promoting the FTX exchange as a place to buy, sell, or store crypto. They were not promoting an individual coin. Um, and so I think there is quite a big difference between like what Kim Kardashian was actually successfully you know, prosecuted for and what they're trying to pin on, you know, Graham, Stefan, meet Kevin, Andre, those guys. So I, I don't necessarily, I'm not holding my breath. I don't think this will necessarily succeed. Yeah. The, the, didn't uh, FTX have its own coin though? They did FTT. I think it was called. Um, but I have not seen any of those influencers actually shilling, uh, at least the more reputable ones. Like I would say yeah. Graham, Kevin, those guys are probably what I would say are the more reputable ones. There right. are some people further down the list that I'm not so familiar with, like Tom Nash, Ben Armstrong. Maybe some of those guys actually shilled FTT token. I'm not quite sure. But I've definitely seen uh, on the previous channel that Graham Stefan and those guys used to have millennial money. They were just promoting the, as far as I know, they were just promoting the exchange. And they were saying you can get up to $100 free crypto when you sign up for FTX, a new account. They were not shilling in particular coins. And, uh, you know, as, as a financial YouTuber, uh, my, my policy has been never promote an individual crypto. I've accepted uh, ads from crypto exchanges before, but never individual coins, because I feel like that is it's just the same as someone promoting an individual stock. Right. You wouldn't you wouldn't get paid by some company to just promote their stock because that's the classic pump and dump you right. know, strategy. Highly illegal. Right. So. And actually, I was offered the FTX sponsorship, um, and I turned it down. And I'm very, very glad that I turned <laughs> it down. 
um especially now i don't know whether my channel is big enough to be named in this in a lawsuit such as this but you know some of the people in this lawsuit actually have similar subscriber numbers to me around two two three hundred thousand or so so it's possible that i i could have come into some trouble but whatever i'm very pleased that i never accepted the uh, the ftx sponsorship i bet <laughs> you, you know the reason why i didn't accept it it's kind of weird well first of all my channel is more about personal finance so my 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 viewers don't really react that well to crypto stuff but the main reason was just i didn't like the name ftx like what does it mean you know it, it made me think of that that scene in war dogs where the guy's like ibm what does that stand for nothing and then the guy in the board meeting is like uh international business machines that's what it stands for and he's like get out you don't work for us anymore like like <laughs> it, it sounded like he, he actually thought that ibm was just some bs made up three letters right but that's what I that's what I kind of felt FTX sounded like, right? Actually, it means futures exchange. But that that's a very generic sounding name with no soul. You know, it's not like something a bit more creative like Robinhood or Weeble or something, you know, that actually has some creativity behind it. So that was kind of one of the reasons why I turned it down, because I just thought like this sounds like a company with no soul. <laughs> and, yeah. and it turns out I was right, you know, because it was a sort of massive money laundering vehicle, you know, with massive fraud. So yeah, right. That's that's what it was built for. It's funny you mentioned companies. That I was with a meeting with an advisor from UBS a couple of years ago. I was like, "What does UBS stand for?" He's like, "I don't know, no idea." I mean, this this guy uh, probably has almost a billion dollars in assets that he manages. Uh, he was a regional guy for UBS. He had no idea. Does what it stand, I'm going to guess. Does it stand for something like United Bank of Switzerland? I thought it was. I thought it was like United Banking of Scotland, right? Because I, I think it's Swiss, I, isn't it? I have no idea. I still don't know to this day what UBS stands for. I mean, it's a good question, but I, I you know, he basically said like. I don't know. United Bank of Switzerland, Union Bank of Switzerland. Okay. Oh, I was close. Union Bank of Switzerland. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Also kind of generic sounding. Yeah, right. But but this this is like someone that that handled a bunch of their assets for uh, wealth management. And I was like, you don't even know what it means. OK. All right. I'm just going to stop talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, FTX to me is is definitely a shade thing i don't know if they're gonna get hit i i would think it's filed in the state of florida it is yeah you know so florida's gonna come after people a little bit more you know i wouldn't say aggressively but this state has unique laws like you the law signed in about um social media platforms where he, that was in florida wasn't it yeah, yeah. so it's like uh, there, there was a law that the governor of florida uh, decided to uh enact in 2021 that allowed a little bit of leniency for cryptocurrency as well so it's like let's see what really happens with this uh will it go somewhere i don't know maybe they'll all settle Right. This is yeah. I, they might settle. I mean, this is specifically for yield-bearing accounts where you're like staking crypto and getting interest. So that's what the lawsuit specifically says um, that these yield-bearing accounts were unregistered securities. Um, I don't think these guys even have a billion dollars between them. Uh, yeah. In fact, I I know they do not uh, have that much. They're definitely rich, but they're not that rich. So it could end up in a settlement, or it. it to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if it was thrown out. 
Yeah, no, that, and that's what I mean. In the state of Florida, you know, it could go any way, which way. Um, I mean, the New York or, or California, you might have a little bit more headway. Um, but I think the plaintiffs are probably out of Florida, so they file in Florida. Let's move on to the last segment, um, which is ChatGPT4 was released uh, this week. And this is kind of a light segment, although it does get a little bit sinister towards the end. But um, some of the amazing things that ChatGPT4 can do that version 3.5, which was the previous version, uh, could not. So it can pass the bar exam, that's the law school exam, uh, in the top 10% of, of the class. Now, ChatGPT 3.5 could only pass the bar exam in the bottom 10%. So <laughs> that's a significant improvement. Um, it can analyze pictures. So you can upload a, a picture of what you want a website to look like. And ChatGPT can instantly, or not instantly, but it can it can write the code for that website. It can't make pictures yet, but it can analyze pictures. Um, it has accuracy across 26 languages, uh, although it performs best uh, in uh, Romance and Germanic languages. It can respond with up to 25,000 words. Uh, previously, it was limited to 4,000 words. And this is a cool one. It can generate a lawsuit in one click. <laughs> Just kind of funny. And they, they were talking about using it. So like, you know, those robocalls, if you've opted out of robocalls and one calls you, you can even have your phone to automatically generate a lawsuit when the robocall comes through and then it gets filed and the, the person gets sued. I don't know. <laughs> that was one proposed use that I was reading about. Well, that's, that, that's, that's definitely pretty crazy. My son, uh, he, he said to me, I think it was yesterday. He was like, you know, I can have chat GPT now write an essay for me in English and tell them what age I am. And it will give me an age relative essay so that wow. I can get by in school. And he was, and my teachers tried to tell me that they have a system to check for it. I guarantee they don't, not this one. No, it's uh, the versions are upgrading so fast that I don't think they can keep up. Yeah, no, there, there's no way. So I told them to try it, you know, I was like, here, do it. It's an experiment. Do an experiment. See if it works get the chat gpt4 and and have them write your essay and then turn it in and see what happens the the real question is is when does the threshold take place that we see jobs be overtaken by ai that that's what i'm waiting for is like so now society has really been introduced to it on on a, on a larger inter single user phase before we had like siri and hey google and things like that that's ai right but this is ai where me and you and anybody else can go in use that ai and get results so yeah. now if, if we're allowed to use it and we're getting results from it when does ai become um, a mainstay for a company doing r d or a company that has to put together reports. So, so like um, uh, a company that needs to transfer uh, college degrees to the United States for workers, you know? So there's, there's lots of different uh, law firms that physically have to write these petitions to the government when they get the visas. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so when, when do those visas now and those petitions get written by Chad GPT? That's the first job to go. That, yeah, and, that would be easy. Uh, and any, anyone who writes, I mean, I imagine a lot of legal jobs 
the lower level. I was listening to something on this on the business news, uh, Fox Business the other day, actually, they were saying that like, um, yeah, the legal jobs, because these things can write a lawsuit in one click also. Right. So a lot of the lower level legal clerks and stuff, they their jobs would be gone. But the person was making the point that actually they would just, those people would actually just move up faster um, and become regular lawyers, you know, from the beginning, or they would become people who manage inputting mm -hmm. things to chat GPT to create right. things and checking them rather than actually writing these things themselves. Um, I, I think probably it will cause disruption in the short term, but it will, you know, things will even out, right? It's like the whole thing with the Luddites when they brought in machines, um, you know, this story, right? I think it's in the industrial revolution in yeah, England and the, yeah. And they, the Luddites went and destroyed the machines in the factory because they were taking their jobs and it was, yeah, it was, sh they had short-term pain, but actually in the long run, you know, no, people no. still have jobs. We've had technological advancements at every stage. It causes job losses in the short run, but then new jobs associated with it will spring up later on. So it's, um, but surely it will definitely cause a lot of disruption. Well, the, the question, the question is, is the, the trust that a human has with the AI. So if you trust that the yeah. AI is doing it accurately, then why are you going to pay somebody to check it? And that's the disturbing thing. So, yeah, Dom, do you want to pull up the Elon Musk? I, I want to show this video clip, um, Elon Musk disagreeing with Jack Ma on the danger of AI. <laughs> Jack Ma is a Chinese billionaire. He's a bit of an idiot, to be honest. Like Alibaba, and, yeah. Alibaba, yeah. And actually, the title of one of these videos of Elon Musk, his meeting with him was Elon Musk realizing that Jack Ma is an idiot. Because Elon Musk makes so many sort of like snarky like comments and weird expressions during this interview it's it's quite it's kind of funny yeah um, well you wonder if jack ma was just uh just somebody that they turned around and said guess what you're going to be one of the wealthiest people in china enjoy the ride it yeah it is possible because he doesn't seem that intelligent whereas elon musk really does seem like a genius or probably an alien um <laughs> i mean they're, they're, that's up for discussion right we'll see where we'll see where we'll see where he lands I mean, well, anyway, let's let's take a look at this clip if you can pull it up, Dom. Elon does build spaceships. Let's be clear on that. And, and Jack Ma doesn't care about Mars. He said, <laughs> if you go to the top of a building, you could just jump to Mars. It's easy. And Elon Musk's like, what? What are you talking about, dude? All right, <laughs> let's play it. And uh, I don't think artificial intelligence is a threat. I don't think artificial intelligence is something terrible. But human beings are smart enough to learn that. And to me, artificial intelligence is just like, uh, people worry a lot about this today. Are those people, I call them called, um, uh, called college smartness. People like us, street smart, we never scared of that. We, we think it's a great fun and we want to change ourselves to embrace it. I don't know, man, that's like famous last words. Yeah, so that's the bit I wanted to show you guys. Let me tell you, famous AI last words is um, basically Elon. You know, he, he knows the danger of it um, too well, I think. And uh, you know, maybe from the planet he's from, they had an issue with artificial intelligence and it destroyed their society. Maybe that's why he came here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, or, or maybe maybe he's just trying to get back home. He, you know. That's why he but, needs the Mars spaceships. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. He's, he's got to get home somehow. But e either way, the guy is is, is fundamentally, uh, I mean, our, 
evolution of our technologies when it comes to how we interact with AI. What do you think? What do you think Tesla is? Te- Tesla is a tech company that has cars. Yeah. You know, so so when you look at it fundamentally, these guys are are using AI to drive the vehicle. Right. That intelligence from where you're at, where you're going, how it's performing, those sensors, all that stuff. Yep. And even you if know, you don't use the self-driving, AI is still a big part of it because it's it's tracking things like how safe you are and you can get lower insurance rates if you drive, you know, what Tesla thinks is safely and that's controlled by AI, you know, putting you in certain groups and stuff. Um, but I, I want to go back to the danger because, you know, this when I sort of started looking at this, I started going down a rabbit hole of this and there were there's this Harper's Bazaar article about how there are actually artificial intelligence, AI generated models on Instagram and on Twitter, uh, actual AI um, influencers. There's this one, uh, Shudu, this Instagram, the second link, uh, Dom, if you go down, there's this um, this Instagram account uh, of this like African looking uh, model, supermodel, and she's not real. It's an AI and it's got uh, several hundred thousand uh, followers. If you want to pull that up, we can just show you this one's this one's safe. <laughs> um, she's, you know, more like a fashion model. And there, there are some other ones that. Yeah. So that's the lady top left is is actually her. Uh, well, it, you know, because this isn't a real person. Right. Um, these ones, you know, they look kind of computer generated, although not that far off from heavily airbrushed photos of, of models. Well, um, there's also a lot of models and people on IG that use this airbrush filter or these cartoon filters. So you question whether or not, uh, if it's a real yes. person, you know, that's I, the, new, the new filter on TikTok, right? The new, um, me and my wife, we did a, a little thing on that for fun. Uh, I'll, I'll show it to you. I got to show you that to you actually yeah it's all getting very interesting i i think i'm just gonna go to get a cabin in the woods and turn off play play uh play this um this clip that i just pasted into the chat dom um on Streamyard because this this is instagram's new uh filter filter in action me and my wife shot this the other day she she was wearing no makeup and this filter just does it as if you've got a full face of makeup and there, and it is flawless. It is scarily flawless. You'll, you'll see the difference. Um, you can check it out. Yeah. Play it. And, uh, so you can see she's like, got a f- <laughs> and there we go. <laughs> so, so a little bit of fun. She didn't mind, but, uh, a little bit of fun, but it just shows you how, like if you meet someone online, um, they could look completely different to what they look like online because they could be using a makeup filter, and, which is now flawless, thanks to TikTok's new new filter, and I'm sure other programs that do the same. Um, or they could be a completely computer-generated AI person. It might not even be a person at all, you know? So that's, that goes way beyond catfishing then. Yeah, so, and, yeah. And, and I think of the implications. Like, let's say this AI becomes really generous. Uh, really, really capable, right? And it, it's a large language model, right? So it analyzes human language. It can learn everything about a person. Like right now you've got AIs, for example, like this one in the doc. Uh, there's a Twitter 
you could open it, but I, you probably don't want to show too many of the photos. You might be able to show just the top of it because some of the photos are kind of like bikini shots and stuff that we probably don't really want to show on the on the site, um, on the stream. But the photos of these AI, and these are AI generated uh, images, okay, of like, of this girl who is an influencer. She's an influencer. It, oh, it is an influencer. Yeah, so you can just scroll down slightly so you can just see the face, uh, but obviously don't because it's kind of like bikini shots and stuff. So maybe we don't want to show it. But yeah, her face, I mean, she looks, you can scroll down a little bit more, but she looks like, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, this one's kind of cut off. So uh, she looks reasonably, I mean, she looks real, right? It almost looks like a photo. And I think for people who use filters, it's it's almost- Anime almost, in real life. Yeah, it's almost real. And, and this is created by an AI, right? These are not like- it's not someone drawing this in Photoshop or anything. This is someone inputting commands to an AI saying, hey, create a sexy girl with these attributes, pink hair, uh, you know, et cetera. And it's created. Right. And then the pictures, you know, are created. So what is the, I was thinking about what, what the end game, if, if an AI becomes really, um, really capable. Autonomous. Autonomous, yeah. If it becomes autonomous and it has the ability to create images or even videos that like attract you, stimulate a human's most basic craving, think of the blackmail uh, opportunities. Like computers can, this is something Elon Musk was saying as well in the interview with Jack Ma. Human language would sound like whale song to computers because it's just so slow. You know, that might actually be what whale, you know, whales like like that maybe they're saying words if you sped it up they might actually be saying sentences but it's just right. it's so slow maybe they're functioning on a different time space continuum or something but um so when humans look at the way hum uh, when computers look at the way humans uh, communicate it's so slow they can analyze billions of things in like a second so a computer if it was an ai that's become sentient it could in theory go and look at someone's entire social media history learn everything about them, even really obscure jokes they made 10 years ago, et cetera, that give little clues as to what that person likes, what turns them on, what makes them tick, then create some sort of AI avatar that just, you know, conveniently pops out and messages them, right? A cute girl or, or someone who just very coincidentally likes the exact same things they like, or you know what I mean? And then, then start sending pictures. And then that person sends a picture back right of a, a sexual nature or something right something embarrassing and then yeah, bam, I, you've got black material. Or even getting them to give them money right or giving money yes that's another way to make money but but you know and gov and these computers because they can analyze stuff so quickly they can analyze the interconnections between companies governments everything they can figure out who they need to blackmail they can then search the entire social media history of that person find out what they need to say to blackmail them to get the desired response. And then they, you know, I'm wondering in the future, are countries, in addition to fighting each other, they're gonna be fighting internal civil wars with their AIs that they've created that are now blackmailing all their politicians. Um, it's, it's just I mean, it's well, they don't have to do the blackmailing on their own anymore. They can just use AI to do it. Well, that's what, yeah, the CIA will probably, they've probably already developed these systems to analyze a person's entire social media history and build a, a honeypot type personality right, yeah. avatar to approach that person online. Uh, there were also, there's also other ways of doing it that are not using honeypots, but just um, contact. There was a guy, Ivaldas Rimasalskas, who he ran this scam where he sent invoices to Google 
and other companies just pretending that Google owed money. And because he used very official looking emails and things like that, Google actually paid and Facebook actually paid some of these invoices. So that's another thing you can get AI to do, right? You, you use AI to scan an entire person's social media history. You find out every little thing about them. Some Maybe they've accidentally let some confidential information slip uh, just over the years. Because you've got a computer that works at lightning speed, you can find that very obscure little bits of information that could then build up a picture to make an invoice or a fraudulent thing look official enough to steal money. I mean, the possibilities with this are, are crazy. Yeah, right. And, the, and then the other end of it is the protection against AI, you know, when it, the same way that we protect our identities with, you know, LifeLock or things like that, you know, protect yourself against uh, AI theft. You know, that that's the next step of all of this. It's just like a whole industry, like you said before, is yeah, essentially you're losing jobs, but you're going to create a whole bunch oh, more. In the insurance industry, baby. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we can talk about that for days. That's where the real dirty money goes. Well, Mike, I, I think my camera may lose battery in just a second because this episode has been uh, incredibly long. Um, so I think I'm going to need to cut it off. But um, guys, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, whether it's on YouTube, you can subscribe to our long form. We've got a whole channel where the long form podcasts uh, get uh, get posted. We've also got our clips channel where you can see the shorter clips. So you can subscribe to both of those. Um, and if you're listening to some of the short or watching some of the short form content, we're on TikTok, Instagram Reels, uh, and we are also on uh, what's the other one we're on? We're on Ganging um, World. We're on Ganging World, and we're on YouTube Shorts as well. Uh, most of the uh, our handle is at Dirty Money Show on most of those short form. Uh, content platforms as well, like TikTok, Instagram, etc. So you, you can subscribe whatever platform uh, you're watching on. Subscribe or follow wherever is convenient for you. And uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>